you have your Bibles and like to turn there, we're working our way through the really wonderful and I think life-changing letter that John wrote, the first letter he wrote at the end of his life to his beloved church. So we're in 1 John and we're in chapter 4 today. I just am so amazed we get to do this again. I hope you see the wonder that we get to freely, you and I, come together and look at and study and rejoice in this amazing word of God. We are free, and we are an association of people who have been touched by the King, by the love of Christ for us. And my heart for you today is that you might stand there. Because the the thing that pulls you away most likely, it may be the world. The world is constantly pulling us back to merit and to wrong thinking and to all that stuff. But it's also bad teaching. Bad teaching that people have taken from the Bible. So my heart today is that you would see the message of John. The big idea is this, that you would see how love is shown. And that you see the competing systems. And you see the purpose of your life is not to love but to be loved by the king. You see this from the text. Two weeks ago, you know, we looked at John chapter 3 in this this amazing epistle, and, and we saw and we talked about this idea of love, this amazing wonder that John goes right to the heart of one of the very most precious things that exists, which is love. You know it's precious. I mean, you see, if you're a dad and you see your child when they're young and they're alive, you just love your kid your spouse and you get married and love and love is where it's at love sums up the law and we saw how amazing it was but we also saw that we were delivered from the trap of loving our way to god because we can't we were delivered not just from that but from measuring our love as a means of evaluating if we're a christian that's a big deal because so many people put you back under their thumb and say you know what yeah god loves you But really, it's about you and how you're doing. We see John goes right after that. We saw our failure, but also our hope in love, God's love for us, the amazing forgiveness and love of Jesus. That's why we sing these songs. And then last week, as we started chapter 4, we saw John start to talk about the Holy Spirit and the reality of the Holy Spirit, and what the Holy Spirit does to teach and comfort and tell us about Jesus, remind us all the time about Jesus Christ. And so we have confidence. We have overcome. We belong because of this spirit that we have. This is very important for us because I'm used to, and maybe you are too, messages over and over when you come to church that are essentially along the lines of of exhorting you to do more love. They're from a certain viewpoint, right? If the pastor pushes you enough and convinces you enough, then you will love more because that's your purpose. If I could just push you to do this so that God will what? You can kind of fill in the blank. Be happy with you. Use you more. It's it's anything but, but confidence that you already know that you've tasted a love that is absolutely unable to be matched. It's the love of Christ for you. 
right? Because the system of exhortation to love is a measuring system. If you love your Christ, so measure your love, determining if you do enough for Jesus. Your answer should always be, your answer should always be, do you love like Jesus? Your answer is no. It's got to be no. That isn't meant that I don't want to love like Jesus or I don't see the wonder of Jesus' love. I don't see the perfection that love entails and indeed is summed up with the law, love God and love your neighbor. So I plead with you, I beg you to see that your purpose is to receive the love of Christ and this makes you free. The competing system is that you know that you're God's because you love It is focused with glasses on yourself. So let's take a look, not to take that in, but to take in this amazing love. So we have found love, a treasure. He loves us. First, I want to see and and really take in and see from the text how love is manifested. So let's pick it up. It's 1 John chapter 4. We'll pick it up in verse 7. And the text says this. It says, beloved, talking to Christians. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. These are precious verses. You probably know them. This is amazing because God himself is Love, the best description of God that we have. God is holy. God is righteous. God is good. But really, God is equal sign, love. And so love, right? It's like heat from the sun, and God's the sun, and we feel the heat, love. It's like light in a dark room, deep, amazing, and the message is clear, the the. The object of of living is love. From the wonder and the value of love. If God is love, then let's love one another. Love is the best. If you love, then you've been born of God. You know God. If you don't love, then you don't know God because God is love. And so love is fantastic. Let's show it. All of that's the message of every society. All of that is the message of every religion. Because love isn't some feeling. Like, let's feel good. Love is what? Self-sacrifice. Love is, is, is me laying down me for the sake of you. And Buddhism does that. Hinduism does that. Heck, basic moralism does that. If we would just put ourselves in the shoes of someone else, if we would just care for other people, if we would just do that. This is good. And and, and then I, I go down this line and I say, okay, well then anyone who does that, they must be okay. That, that, you notice what's not in the start of this verse. Jesus. Man, if you would just love, you would be okay. So I, I think that manifesting love should be showing acts of love. And, and if you're doing a good job loving your parents, loving your kids, loving your spouse, loving your fellow man, and really show love personally, go help someone today, show them love. That's what they need to see is love. And, and so we get into this mindset from these verses. Hey, we want to love each other. And so let's go show it. And from there I leap 
to you showing it by your great acts of goodness. And he's talking to Christians. It doesn't go away as a Christian. It's like, well, you know, this is everybody. But the question is, what does it look like? Uh Uh-huh. That's why you can't take stuff out of context. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And, 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 and if you didn't catch it, that word there where the love of God was made manifest. Manifest means show. You want to say, okay, I want to know what showing love is. Here it is. This is the show of love that God sent Jesus. Not in acts of love by you and me, but that God sent Jesus for us so that we live who were dead. Our acts of love are not love, just like our acts of holy behavior is not holiness. Our acts of goodness are not good. Acts of love are good. Do them. Acts of holiness are good. Do them. Don't you dare think that's love like Jesus loves. It's not us loving God. It's him loving us. You see, he sent Jesus because we don't love. Not in the way Jesus loves us. It's not just that. We're dirty and twisted and wrong and evil and against God. And here comes God. He sent Jesus to take it away. That's love. Love is Jesus loving us. God the Father loving us, not we loving. We mimic, right? We, we try, but we don't do. Love is Jesus loving us, God the Father loving us, not we loving. And the implications of this is huge because almost always you hear this passage. You hear and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. Jesus loved us, and, and therefore we skip right to this. So we should try harder. And the focus jumps. It jumps from the reality of us living in that Jesus loves us. And this is what love is. And this is how love is shown is that we receive this amazing love of Christ. And this is the treasure that I've found. And we switch it over to, and therefore, you must be this or else maybe you're not God's. You see the switch? If... Jesus loved you. What are you doing for him today? So if you take that statement and you start thinking about it, and the answer is, oh, well, I'm doing this and this and this and this, you feel pretty good about yourself because you're doing some stuff for God. If the answer is, oh, no, I'm not doing enough, then that's fear. And that's conviction. And that's I better do more. Where's all that thinking around? Where's all your focus get onto? Where? Me.
So I just, as we start and we think about what love is, and we think love is this amazing thing, it is amazing. And it is an obligation, not just for the Christian, but for the non-Christian, but especially for the Christian. We have a duty. We have an obligation. We see it, not just because the law states that it does. It says this is the law that you would love God and love your neighbor. But we also see it because it is Christ's example. And it is an example that is deep. It's an example that's the deepest thing I've ever known, this love of Jesus for me, that though I hated God, he loved me. So I feel the obligation. I know it's there. But the only reality of love is the reality of what God has done, what? For me. This is the showing. This is what I want to show everybody. Not my great love. Look at how great Dax is for you. And I do this because God's good. No, that's, that's going down the wrong path. Actually, the right thing is, look at how awesome Jesus is that he's loved me. Yeah. I'm hard to love. You are too. So it's about this love manifesting, and and we'll work it out. And the other piece that we have then confidence because God's abiding in us. So with this love, I get God in me, the Bible says. It's a radical concept. And he pulls in the Holy Spirit. But let's see, in verse 11, he says this. He says, Beloved, if God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. Yes, we should. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You see, you're in this tension still, aren't we? Not that we should ever stop loving. Love is amazing. Love is even how we know God. And and, and again, I I go back to my own experience and the experience I have with deep love, with sacrificial love, is my kids when they're little and they're helpless and they can't do anything for me and they're asleep. Sleeping's important. Because then they're not like, you know, making me irritated. And so there they are and I just love them and I long for them to have lives that are protected and in Christ and so perfect. And I said, what can I do for my kid? And, and I've had those feelings for my wife and I've had those feelings for people and, and this is love. Oh, how I long for people to be free in Christ. Really knowing someone, really cheering for them, really longing for their success. And, and, and oh, it's a simple touch, a being there, a constant care. It's fantastic, but still that command, that ought, that duty, it never goes away. And it's exactly what all people should be at all times, living in light of love. Love love in that God created us. He gave us life and breath and all that we have. And so John says no one has ever seen God, but when we love, we sense his presence, his love perfected in us, and which means exactly what? Again, you're faced with this choice. And I'm telling you, you're faced with a choice. You may not realize or even think you're faced with a choice. You say, well, it just means I'm supposed to work extra hard at loving. But no, that's only one part of this, which is what you're always under the obligation. So go ahead and try. But my eyes opened, and I long for yours to be, would say what? That means you're in yourself, never perfected. You see what he's doing? We're never abided in because you don't love. 
Not like this, not in yourself. We're, we're failure. We have moments, right? We have moments. And they're not perfection. I mean, I, <laughs> dear, dear friend in ministry for 25 years loves Jesus. Fruit in his life, I've seen it. I know he's going to heaven. He's been married and married and married, and he's talking about how awesome his wife is. And then, and then, and then, and then he comes and says, "I'm done." She disgusts me. But, 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 but you're supposed to love your wife. Momentary lapse of reason. But wait, wait, I thought it was on this progress meter where he loved a little when he started and didn't really know what love is and it was kind of puppy love or romantic love. But then he deepens the deep agape love where he's serving his wife in self-sacrifice. And now that they're older, now and 25 years of amazing ministry in depth, now certainly he's strong in love. That's not even what real love is, Right? Because loving your, your wife, your spouse, loving your kids, you're, mostly you're loving people who are trying to love you back. Jesus loves people that killed him. Jesus loved people that were just for him. No, against him all the time. When they hated I believe this is meant to drive you back to the cross. I believe this is meant this ought of obligation, this ought of, hey, the, the, the way to know you're perfected is to love, is to always see I am not perfect. I always use the law as a mirror to show you warts. Warts. Those are bad things. That means you're not who you should be because then I get driven somewhere. Where do I get driven? We'll keep going. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Oh, oh, here it is. Now, I know that if I would just love, then I would abide. That would, that would work. But it's not working because I don't love all the time like I should. And I don't think I go in and out of abiding with God. I feel like God has me. He has me all the way. So how do I know that I abide in him and he abides in me? How do we know that we abide in him and he abides in us? Because he has given us of his spirit. See that? Because he has given us of his spirit. This this gift, right? It's the conviction that Jesus Christ is really God and he really lived and he really died and he really rose and he really lives now that he's God and he did what he said he did. This is the work of the spirit to tell you the love of Christ for you is unending and not stopping and for you. And I'm convinced. Why am I convinced? I've got the spirit. See what it's not? It's not the Spirit enabling you to love more so that you know you're perfected. That's not the reconciliation of this. The, the reconciliation is I know that I'm Christ by the Spirit who testifies to me of the love of Christ for me and for you. How do we know we have the real presence of God? Not by our love for God, but by his spirit in us. And that means the Holy Spirit urges us to make more effort somehow. Like, boy, you would really um, know that you were God's if you could do more stuff 
stacks, but no look. Watch how he plays it out. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. (laughs) What have we testified to? That we love really well? No. The Holy Spirit testifies that those three acts of love you did last week were super valuable and therefore you're God's. No. The Holy Spirit testifies that Jesus Christ is the Savior for you. He doesn't make you a better lover. Oh, he might. That's good if he does. But the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to Jesus. So he says, we have come to believe and to know. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. And he, in God, this is how we know. I confess Christ. Full stop. So we have come to know and to believe that, that I'm a really good love person? No, the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. What's the love I'm abiding in? And let me say, it is not my love. It's not good enough. Yours isn't either. The love I abide in is the love of Christ for me. It is a deep thing. It is true that he loves you in ways you can't even imagine because you don't experience it on earth. You may experience a little of it in a touch. You may experience it in a spouse or a kid or a parent or someone who's, who's for you. I have amazing testimonies of true love of God in my life from people who are dear friends, and it's incredible and amazing, and I taste it. But that's not the reliance that I have about God. It's the love of Christ. This is abiding, that you and I confess Christ, who is love to you. He promises he has you. I abide in that love, the love of God for me. Romans 5 says it this way. It's the same sort of thought. So, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. What, what is it? It's not the Holy Spirit enabling my puny love. It's the Holy Spirit pouring the love of God into me. How does he do it? He opens my eyes to the truth of Jesus. Okay. So what we have so far is this manifesting love is the reality that God has loved us in Christ. We trust it. How do I trust it? I trust that by God abiding in me. This is the Holy Spirit opening my eyes to who Jesus Christ actually is for me. This is pushing us against this pathway that many of us have been on. I've been on a long time. Maybe you have too. Of essentially a works-oriented Christianity. You can know your gods if you love enough. Ouch. I say ouch mostly because I'm kind of good at it. I like that. I'll do lots of good things for people if it means I'm going to go to heaven. And yet that's not what he's being presented here. And let me show you why it's so important. It's about fear. And about not living in fear. So here's verse 17. By this is love perfected with us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. So I just, this is not love being perfected by our acts of love. I continue to feel the ought, which is to say our lack, our whole lives. And yet love is perfected in us. That we're his, right? We're we're like him. We're rejected by the world. We're we're, we're outcasts. We're outside the camp. 
We're not the in crowd. We, we even have sin, even as Jesus became sin for us. And, and, and most like Christ, to be perfected in Christ, is that we trust the Father. We trust him. This is a huge deal because I'll tell you what, there's a, a big difference between me trusting that God is for me and he's going to make me persevere to the end and this idea that God is, is, is helping me and hoping that I'll make it through to the end if I do enough acts of love. Very different things. Love is perfected by trusting Christ, by the Spirit abiding, not by our love, not by appearance of love, but by the promise of God for you. And this gives confidence because as he is, so are we. It means we're nothing to look at. You don't look at us and see conquering, wondrous, strong, advancing giants of love. You see humble, small, apparently worthless people. And I'm sorry if I'm offending you. I'm talking about me. tell you what almost almost all society is like this we we see um in whatever camp politically you might be in everybody's trying to tackle this problem of trying to get people to love better trying to get people to care for each other more try to get people and so you mandate solutions of, of, of hey man i think everybody should get medical care that's just a basic thing that we should give everyone to care for people so how do we do it let's attack it let's make it so we love each other better and we buy right in. We take the law, the high and impossible law, and, and we make it a measurement. We... we live in such a different place, you know. I don't know how to, how to make this real. I, so much of this seems like theology and not like basic. Let me try. I, I, I stand before God in my 20s, and I took a vow. To love my wife. Have I done it? Now there's some ways which I absolutely have. By the grace of God. And there are many ways in which I have not. Right? It doesn't disqualify me. I'm not talking about adultery or something like that. That's terrible. I'm talking about daily living. When instead of loving, what's love? Being like Jesus to her. I'm supposed to be like Jesus to her. The God, God's call to me is to be like Jesus to her. God's call is that you would be laying down your life like Jesus in the church, Paul says in Ephesians 5. And yet I get irritated. I, I, I lose patience. I say a harsh word. I ask forgiveness. I clear the decks again. But I, I go into these all over and over. I fail, I fail, I fail, I fail, I fail. What a terrible thing if instead of doing that, I have to fake that I don't fail. What a terrible thing before God. If God says to you, you need to be Jesus Christ to your wife. If you stand up before God and say, I was. I loved her till the end. Oh, you did it. That's faking. That's faces we put on all the time. How are you doing? Fine. How are you doing? I'm trying. How you do? And then we don't get real. We don't get like, this is real stuff. This is, this is the stuff that, that matters is that we might say, Lord, I don't love, but you know what? I'm convinced to the very bottom of my soul that I know the one who does. He's for me. He forgives me. He cleanses me. This is what we're after, right? 
not hoping in ourselves, not even a little bit. So we avoid this trap we'd otherwise fall into with every other person. And then really the issue becomes fear. There's no fear for me if I trust in what Jesus has done for me. Full stop. I trust that I'm loved. The promise is, is as he is, and so are we. That's love's perfection, that Christ is for us. His love is perfect. There's no fear. Look what he says. There's no fear in love. Verse 18. But perfect love casts out fear. He's not talking about your attempts. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. There's no fear ever in love. Our love, there's always fear. At least in this area where you get pastors like me telling you you need to love. Because you take that and you hear it and you say, you know what, I, let me, I, maybe I'm not loving enough. Maybe I'm not really even God's. What's that called? Fear. Afraid that you've taken a wrong step, that you've gone the wrong way, that somehow God's going to judge you and say, no, no, you know what? You, you're, you failed. I know you said you loved me, but you didn't get off your butt enough. Pardon my language. Get off your bottom. Fear is doubt that he loves us. Fear is lack of confidence that when you have this if you're finding assurance in yourself, in your advancement, in your progress, then there, there's lots of fear. I know personally, and I'm sure you do too. If it matters based on you look and evaluate your life, and you say, how am I doing at this moment, and you have no fear, you're, you're not looking strong enough. You need a bigger microscope. But if, you're, if your glasses shift to Christ, to Jesus There's no fear in love. His steadfast love endures forever. This is even if something's going to happen. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. There's this great paradox not to be placed at the front as fulfilling the law, but at the end is this amazing codicil, this amazing little piece at the end, this wondrous flash of incredible gift that as you have no fear that God is all for you as you're free and living in the acceptance of Christ for you, there's no obligation that you have further to meet. Though the obligation exists and you see it, here comes love, even from you. We love because he first loved us. So if there's any true love, it's an outpouring of being loved. We've got to stay here without fear with trust, with no hope in ourselves. If there's any love, any real love, it's as we really live in the trust that he's loved us because real love isn't an act. It's not a doing, a praxis. It's not just a compassionate word. It comes from changed desires, right? It comes from actually changed identity. I'm renewed in my mind as I think about the wonder of Christ for me. And I do things that are different. It's true. But I, I, I can't go the other way of evaluating the acts to get to whether or not I'm advancing in the kingdom. He ends with it here. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he's seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God, must also love his brother. The command remains. There's simply no hope in me. I cannot love God whom I've not seen because I don't love my brother who I see. If I'm to love God, I must love my brother. And the truth is, I don't. Not like this is talking about. Not like the good Samaritan in Luke 10. Not like the love of Jesus on the cross. Not like the depth of what love is. And when I call my puny things God's great love, I'm making a mistake. When we get to heaven and God reveals the way that he loved through you, it will be a shocker to you. It will be things you don't even know. He will have borne fruit in you because Galatians 5 is true. You are the fruit of the Spirit in your life, oh dear Christian. But it's not things that you say, look, I will present my mighty deeds to you, God, because I have loved greatly. Never. If you try to make it about you, you'll start to call non-love, love. You'll start to not tell the truth. And here's the truth. You don't love enough. Here's the greater truth. Jesus loves you. So many people, so many well-meaning Christians functionally put you right back under the law, right back into religion, right back into earning his favor. Functionally, though, you'll never say it, by you self-evaluating how well you're doing in the love department and that being a determining factor for whether or not you believe you stand before God. If the answer is you stand before God based on your works, you will never stand. I don't trust one whit in the statement, even from my lips, that I love God. I put all my hope in God loves me. I call you to that this morning. I call you to that from our bulletin when I put this in. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And look what it says there in Isaiah. It says, oh, Lord, you will ordain peace for us. Oh, for you indeed have done for us all our works that's my god this will change your life if you see your life is in the love of god for you that the obligation to love oh it shines like a star it's true it's law and you miss it so here we are again we confess to Christ, oh, I'm not who I should be, and therefore I receive forgiveness and cleansing and righteousness and truth. And then the idea is to trust in the salvation of your God, the God who ordains peace because he does all our works. So many dead-end teachings to teach you you're not a Christian unless you do increasingly more acts of love, like the purpose of your life is for God to squeeze you out to try and get love out of a turnip. The purpose of your life is to trust him, to be free, and, 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 then, and then love. Hope in his love. The work is his work. He does it in you. And some people say, man, Dax, this is kind of a depressing message as we close. Like, man, I, it just seems not a lot of hope in that. Yeah, there's not a hope in that if what you're trying to do is maximize you. But there's tons of hope in it if what you're seeing is that you can. 
And you've got to trust who's outside of you. It's not get a little help from God. It's not that people don't see the importance of love. They miss that it's about God's love for us. Okay, to see love is manifested in Jesus, we proclaim it. We know the Spirit is convincing us. He comforts and he teaches us. This is abiding. This is us avoiding antichrist that focuses on self-improvement. We focus by the Spirit's help on trusting the one who promises life. And therefore, you and I today, as we are done, we are fearless. We can be. We can trust totally in a love given. It can't be lost. And the reality is when we're not fearless, when our trust wavers, man, our faith is not a work. We still come back to the cross and we say our only hope is in the finished work of Jesus. And I will cling to that my whole life long. I will strive to hold fast to this truth until we die. And guess what? You and I, we will live again. The resurrection is coming. That's the promise by the love of Christ.